Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 49. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Jim Kearns, Professor and Extension Specialist in Turfgrass Pathology and the Co-Director of the Turfgrass Center for Environmental Research and Education at NC State University. It's always a treat to have Dr. Kearns on the show as he is located in the center of the transition zone hotbed for both warm and cool season disease pressure. In this episode, Dr. Kearns downloads on the trends from the 2023 growing season, differences amongst QOI fungicides, and why independent university research is important to a turf grass manager. Turf Dudes is a Herald's agronomy team collaboration of Dr. Raymond Snyder, Dr. Paul Giordano, and Dr. Jeff Atkinson. Turf Dudes is produced by Brandon Clark. Enjoy the show. Today we've got Dr. Kearns with us from North Carolina State University. Dr. Kearns, thanks for joining us again here on Turf Dudes. We appreciate you coming and joining us, man. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. So, uh, I think it's been a little while since you last joined the Turf Dudes podcast. So um, why don't you, maybe for those who are new to the program and, and aren't necessarily aware of uh, the turf pathology uh, program at NC State, maybe just give everybody a quick rundown of who you are and what you do at NC State. Yeah, so I think, can't remember the last time I did this, but it was in a uh, hotel or something. I think mm-hmm. we snuck away <laughs> into a conference yeah. room, but um so for those of you, if you don't know, I'm uh, Jim Kearns. I'm a uh, professor and extension specialist uh, at NC State, and I'm responsible for all things relating to turf diseases for all the grasses in North Carolina. And um, those of you, if you don't know much about the Carolinas, uh, basically I say uh, we grow all grasses and we grow them all equally crappy. So it's uh, <laughs> a great great place to be me. Uh, so our program uh, basically, like I said, focuses on all diseases, but I would say our specialty has been root diseases, uh, is what we've seen most of. Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, many of you listening may have worked with our lab. Um, we had, we host the, uh, NC state turf diagnostic lab and really about 68% of the diseases we see on golf course putting greens or more are root diseases. So, that's where our program is kind of focused. And uh, I don't know, I, this is what I've been saying lately of kind of my approach to things is we try to figure out what it is, when they grow and how they kill it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, it's not that simple as Paul and Jeff know in research, but I think trying to keep it simple like that always makes it to where we can relate it back to the growers well. Speaking of the turf diagnostic lab, there was a, a tweet put out earlier this this year, put you on the spot here, that was really kind of su- surprising to us about the limited number of pythium root rot samples you guys saw come through the lab this year. Any idea? I mean, what's the, is that just a conditions outside? Is that serrata and improved programs, improved applications, combination of these things? What's your speculation there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, with us noticing that, you know, Immediately, the first thought was, well, serrata, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> serrata, I mean, you all have seen the plots uh, at various locations, including NC State, and they're amazing. But after a little deeper dive, you know, we've seen a decline of pythium root rot basically since 9, 10, and 11. Uh, and, you know, Paul's well aware of uh, the issues we had with creeping bent grass in those years. Um, that some of the decline was bacterial related, but I contend, you know, Paul knows this, I think that 
yes, we had that, but we also didn't have good chemistry to control Pythium root rot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Segway came on the market in about nine or 10, and we saw a decline. Of course, as an academic, you're going to take credit, but uh, I think we did a lot of work on timing, watering in. We saw another decline. And then Serata was just the absolute nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think it is important that if you're east of the Mississippi River, most places were pretty dry. You know, we haven't had that year to really test the rotation of Segway and Serata. Um, gotcha. You know, that being said, I mean, talking to our guys that still have bent grass, there's so many things that play into that. You know, we don't have DMIs anymore. I think that's stressed the plan out mm -hmm. going into summer. So we have more roots. We have people now managing nematodes. You know, it. we always want to say it's one thing. And, of course, FMC wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's a big component. I mean, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. because Segway did great. But as we get those anaerobic conditions... You know, we don't know if Serata will struggle in that yet or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but there's a lot that I think went into it. Yeah. This, kind yeah, of a long a answer point. to it, but. <laughs> no, it's, these things are nuanced and complicated. And, and that's why folks like yourself and your program and what you guys, you know, how you can dig a little deeper into these topics. It's vitally important. I mean, if, whether it's better chemistry or, or better use patterns. I think the work that you've done and, and your lab has done over the years, particularly with post-application irrigation and, and kind of teasing out how to best use these fungicides, particularly when it comes to root diseases, has made all the difference in the world. We've got good chemistries, but if we're not putting them in the right place and we're not targeting the, the, the disease properly, um, then, then what's it all for? So I think, again, that's just one example, but maybe can you touch on some of the, what you guys are interested in now? Obviously, we're never going to completely solve one particular issue, but what are you guys looking at now that, again, from a practical standpoint that golf course superintendents can maybe leverage here? Yeah. I mean, now, um, you know, it's a tough one when you're in a career and you're like, I've spent my whole career studying Pythium diseases and now, you know, we have tools that manage it so well. Um, you know, we're still trying to tease out some of these ultra dwarf Bermuda grass diseases. Um, <laughs> I think we're getting closer with take all root rot, you know, with the work that we've done. Uh, mini ring still is some of the, the, you know, a mystery that shows up occasionally. But, um, you know, the next two, I think, projects that we're pretty excited about is uh, I'm stepping back into the framework of working on Dollar Spot again. Um, and, and partly because we've started doing a lot of uh, resistance screening for mm -hmm. clubs around the country. And especially with the SDHIs, it doesn't seem like it's clear cut. Right. Um, so we've been working with a virologist in our department who's an amazing uh, molecular biologist. And, you know, just seeing with the collection we have, we have a pretty immense collection that we inherited from Lane Treadway. And, you know, so far we don't see a lot of mutations. So there could be something else going on in that realm. So I have a student looking into that. Also, we tend to, we're tending to see a little bit more dollar spot on warm season grasses. Um, and the fact that I don't think those who grow seashore past palum get much help. So we're going to try to do 
some of that. And then the next wave is uh, getting back into the nematode world. You know, I know poor Billy has to do almost everything and, <laughs> and feed the country. But, you know, the trends that we see as we get more in the transition zone, I think, are really different. Makes perfect sense from Gainesville sure. to Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, and root knot nematode seems to be associated with every one of these diseases. Take all, mini ring, pythium root rot, summer patch up in your neck of the woods, Paul. Um, so we, I don't feel like we have a really good handle on when to manage that nematode. Sting nematode in our area, I think we know really well, but root knot, not so much. So I have a student coming in from our vegetable pathologist and that poor dude, I don't think he really knows what he's in for yet, but <laughs> he'll figure it out real quick. <laughs> yep. You mentioned the SDHI's uh, resistance not necessarily going on right there, I guess, not being the pathologist in the group here. I mean, what is the historic belief is it like a genetic mutation that's conferring resistance and we think it's another mechanism you got a little is there a little bit more context there yeah so the sdhis from a practical standpoint i mean even if you don't know that there are four subclasses of them you know those of you mm -hmm. listening um you know that they're all different from one another mm -hmm. you know you take something like valista for example um you know it's good on dollar spot i'd say but it's one of the only ones that has really good anthracnose control, mm -hmm. right? And then you go to like posterity, which is a great dollar spot material and spring dead spot. You know, you know. <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's, they can be bizarre chemistries. And, and so what Gunwa has shown up in the Northeast is there's three or four different mutations that could confer resistance. And those mutations have been documented in other pathogens related pathogens mm -hmm. um, and what we have noticed when we do these resistance screenings is you know for those of you listening if you don't know it's really kind of a rudimentary and poor way to do it you know you isolate which is a problem because you may not always get what you're looking for mm -hmm. right and then when you expose these things to SDHIs and Petri plates, they still grow okay. But what we observed is the morphology is totally different. Um, it may not produce as much. You know, the dollar spot fungus produces a, an abundance of aerial mycelia in plates. And you don't see that. But if you measured radial growth, there's no difference. Right. So it's a number one, the dollar spot fungus is a damn bizarre fungus <laughs> when you really think about it. And then these SDHIs, there, there could be other mechanisms, basically. Right. Um, like the fungus could just pump them out. Uh, so in other words, it's more complicated than it just doesn't work. Right. And it's funny when you say that. Um, I'll probably aggravate somebody by saying this, but when you dig into their records, it's like, yeah, it's not resistance. You know, you kind of mm -hmm. miss that timing. And I think people still have trouble with the fact that if you miss the timing with the dollar spot fungus, you can get zero control with really good products. Right. That doesn't right. mean resistance. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that in the from a weed science perspective, we often see that with herbicide resistance and that 
in some cases, we assume too quickly that we missed the application window or that we didn't include the rights for facting or whatever the reason may be. And so we just kind of sweep it under the rugs like, ah, it's just a bad application until eventually now you have resistant populations all over the place. But it sounds like from a pathology point of view, it's it's kind of tough to say. Uh, it's easy just to say, hey, I do have resistance. It's, it's a lot more difficult to um, think about everything else that could go wrong, maybe overestimating the prevalence of, of resistance in some cases. You know, it's an interesting thing because, you know, the dollar spot fungus, its latent period is four to five days. You know, when you really think about that, you don't have a whole lot of time if you're following a calendar. And you know as well as I right now with your own customers that, I mean, they're overwhelmed with golf. They're overwhelmed with, mm -hmm. I mean, the way especially country clubs and public courses have boomed. Mm -hmm. um, they're probably not hitting those timings as accurately as they should. Um, and, you know, it's not saying that resistance isn't an issue because it absolutely is. Sure. But I would contend, maybe Paul will disagree with me, it's not as big of an issue in pathology as it is in weed science right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we've done a good job, you know, dating back to, you know, Paul's advisor, Vargas, to, you know, of having that awareness that you need to be diligent with your program. Um, and there's some pretty cool work that Tom Jung has done in Canada. Mm hmm basically over a 25-year period that said it's remained pretty stable with DMIs. So, like I said, I don't think it's as big of an issue, but I think some of our chemistry can be oversold. Oh, well, they're cured. They can do anything, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's yeah. stick to what we know, you know, a good preventative program. And, you know, the way I look at it, if I can get 21 days on Crenshaw creeping bent grass here in Raleigh, <laughs> you can get 21 days anywhere on the damn planet. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. The one or two, I mean, this is a question that doesn't probably have an answer to it, but let's say if you have resistance in a, in a, in a population of annual bluegrass, the common thinking is, is that that resistant gene is going to stick around in the population for a very extended amount of time, just based on the seed longevity in the seed bank, how, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder in diseases in dollar spot, does it have the same residual sticking around in a population like that? Or does it, does it not? I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. And you know, the unfortunate thing is it seems like once it comes in, it doesn't go away. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. It's interesting that you mentioned earlier though, with the SDHIs and the, the, the difference in morphology, while you may not be recognizing particular mutations, or we, we haven't identified some of those mutations yet, but even just in a plate assay, you're noticing a difference in morphology. So there, is that a fitness penalty for what could be some sort of resistance mechanism? And again, that's just one of those questions that guys like Dr. Kearns are going to have to figure out <laughs> at some point. And that's what, you know, my new student Dylan is the whole comprehensive thing is that, you know, what, what is this doing? Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, the SDHIs from uh, the fungicide resistance, you know, action committee are classified as medium risk. Uh, so that begs the question, like you said, is it a fitness penalty? You know, do we quickly select for 
resistant or out maybe even say more tolerant individuals mm -hmm. but it reverts back we don't know because they're still too new yeah right um yeah i can tell you with thiophanate methyl it never goes away and it doesn't seem like it goes away in dmi populations right. dmi resistant populations interesting yeah yeah so while we're on the topics of chemistry and you know Every year, we, we at least get a couple new fungicides or combinations that come out. And so, I mean, you, you have a, a very robust testing program at NC State. You guys do fungicide trials year after year and some probably some of the, the largest trials in the country. So um, what, what have you seen over the last year or two since we last had you on in terms of new products that have entered the market, interesting products, things that are doing something a little different or um, just would love to get your perspective on that? Yeah, that's a... That's a great question. You know, I don't know. I guess a lot of people know, I mean, that Serata, you know, has been an absolute game changer for pythium root rot, pythium root dysfunction. We had a really uh, fortuitous development of having that disease develop last year on new AU Victory that we planted at the farm. Work, I mean, performed phenomenally. Uh, so, I mean, definitely that's one. Um uh, you know, what's interesting is you get materials that come out and you all know this because you're getting into this world and, mm -hmm. and you test what I call the big three diseases, you know, a dollar spot brown patch and pythium blight and mm -hmm. or anthracnose, wherever you are. And, hey, you know, it's OK. Or it's good. Um, and where I'm going at is, you know, Rayora and Kalita kind of fit that mold for us. And now that we've been working at it more in ultra dwarf diseases, we've been really impressed with how well Rayora and well and Kalita because of the mixture has performed on take all root rot on mini ring. Uh, those are relatively new developments that we have seen. Um, let's see what else new out there. One of the interesting ones you talk, you, you work a lot with root diseases, obviously. And so Enview's new Resilia product yeah. which is a combination which really specifically targets root diseases. Um, your perspective on that, obviously, again, we talked about things working in tandem and there's a lot of unknowns of, of how nematodes might be affecting root borne, you know, fungal diseases. So what, what's your experience with that particular product, Ben? Yeah, thanks for the, uh, <laughs> the reminder there, uh, because that was the other one that you know, we work with Densicore, and yeah. I don't know why, looking back through our old trials, we didn't have a lot of material on Densicore and take-all root rot, uh, and it performed really well in our trials this year. So, and then getting to Resilia, same thing. Uh, like you said, I mean, it's an interesting molecule because you get that suppression of the nematodes, you get prothioconazole with suppression of a lot of these, you know, true fungi. And then banal, where especially I think early, uh, I mean, we've seen really good results, you know, like on bent grasses, we'll start that program mid-April to mid-May in the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. And the programs were amazing. Uh, matter of fact, I was just at a Regal meeting uh, a week or so ago, and I was teasing uh, Jesse Benelli because they wanted to continue those plots into the fall and I still have four dead controls. That's how bad it <laughs> And yet those programs were outstanding. Um, and I think the same is true for those of you managing ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses. You know, uh, if you're in the transition zone, 
you know, I think that gold window is between July 15th and August 15th. Um, and that may, you know, move back or move forward depending on where you are. You know, Florida is that unique one that sure. I think as soil temperatures start to get back to about 85 degrees. Um, and w- when we've done that, I mean, it's just a <laughs> It's just a really nice way to start, you know, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's truly cleaning everything up, probably not, but at least gives them that opportunity to thrive going into those stressful periods. Sure. Sure. And the interesting thing, you know, when you bring up that molecule, and I'm sure I'll get in trouble for this, but uh, (laughs) three of them by them, you know, singly, are not very good on spring dead spot. But that molecule or that product was flawless on spring dead spot. I still cannot figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, Densicor is okay. Yeah, right. On spring dead spot, you know, and... and, You wouldn't expect propanocarb or fluopyram to do much either, right? So you're using at a lower rate of prothioconazole within the resilient product. It's like a super low rate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go figure. But, I mean, you know, and then practically speaking, I mean, what a better way to reduce some costs in your program, especially when anybody, I mean, even up north, I know, Paul, there, I mean, a lot more nematode issues. I mean, what a great way to start the year. I mean, not only mm-hmm. that, you think of you know, fairy ring that you're getting, uh, summer patch suppression. Uh, I, I don't know. Really, really nice way to start at not a super high cost. Yeah, we've seen some good uptake of that product here in the fall. And obviously there's limited amounts of use in field thus far, at least in the north. Um, but I suspect that that folks are going to have success just based on the trial work that you've done and others around the country. That seems like it's, it's performed very well. Um, so, just a kind of a shameless plug here on turf dudes. Harold's recently launched uh, our our version of a new product in fluoxystrobin SC. Um, so while we got you here, Jim, I'd love to get your perspective on on your experience with with fluoxystrobin as an active ingredient and kind of how it sits within the category of of QOIs or strobies uh, and where you see fluoxy kind of best used in in superintendents programs. Yeah, that's a really good question. I gotta also watch this because you know. I think you guys know this, that game of telephone that's played. Well, you know, Jim said this, Jim said that. <laughs> and uh, it came back to me that somebody said at a meeting that I said fluoxystrobin was my favorite QOI. <laughs> and I didn't say that. Um, I said for many years, you know, fluoxystrobin was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the QOIs. You know, sure. Heritage yeah. came out, was amazing. You know, Insignia came out and had this unique little niche itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, with some root diseases and things. Mm-hmm. And then fluoxystrobin was kind of lost in translation, but was really good. You know, we saw back in the day, you know, really good brown patch control with it. Uh, it also performed well in my old root dysfunction trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way I look at it is, you know, it, it's it's very similar to azoxystrobin because it is an acropetal penetrant. That's right. the thing that distinguish right. it, distinguishes it from, you know, pyraclistrobin mm-hmm. or 
trifloxystrobin. It's just a really nice molecule to mix in, you know, especially on putting greens when you really think about it. I mean, I mean, I know budgets are what they are, but, you know, even back when we didn't have Serrata, you know, what we would recommend a lot is, okay, mix segue with fame or fluoxystrobin or heritage or insignia, whatever. Mm-hmm. It improved root rock control, right? And it's likely because, you know, as roots decline, there are so many other things that move in behind it. And the QOIs provide a lot of protection against, you know, there's things that we probably don't even know about. Right. Um, right. So, you know, it's pretty cool that now they'll have choices <laughs> of to, to make ends meet. And it's a, an amazing molecule for that. Um, you know, the, the sad thing with all QOIs is, you know, the anthracnose population has overcome it. But, I mean, when you think of, there's nothing better for a summer patch. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, Jeff, in our region, I mean, the QOIs are an absolute staple, I think, for take-all root rot. Um, you know, and it, you, I think we see that, right, as we start mixing QOIs with, certain DMIs, we see much better control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a shameless plug from my end, it would be really cool to see fluoxystrobin mixed with some of these newer DMIs. Hint, hint, yeah. wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> it's, I, I don't know. I just think of them as absolutely essential in a program for putting greens. So as far as selection of, of the proper QOI for the, for the right use and, and not trying to focus on fluoxystrobin here necessarily, but there are good other active ingredients, pyroxystrobin, zoxystrobin. Are there uses that those are best for or, or they can be used interchangeably? What's up? So somebody says, all right, I got all these tools. I got all the products on my shelf. What's the best way to use these <laughs> if there are or is there not? Yeah. I think you guys are just trying to get me in trouble. Um, you know i think that's the challenge uh everybody wants to find out what the best one is right and when you put these three head to head uh and and i am singling one out that will remain nameless but when you put azoxystrobin and you know pyroclostrobin and fluoxystrobin head to head it's really hard to separate them it is really hard um you know, some people will say, well, pyroclostrobin may perform better in root diseases because it doesn't move up. Well, we know from our work that you don't really move a lot of it down anyway, right? Um, sure. Maybe for me, irrigation moving through the soil, right? Yeah. You know, what I tell people now is these QOIs, whether it's fluoxystrobin, pyroclostrobin, or heritage, or azoxystrobin, they need to be a part of your program and pick the one that you can afford, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's the cool thing with all the QOIs, as you know, you have a lot of options. That's the way I now encourage people is you don't have an option right now for Serata, right? right. You don't have an option for certain things, uh, you know, a, a Max Tima. You know, unfortunately, prothioconazole was a pretty older, a pretty 
not old, but it's been in field crops for a while. So we now have some mm -hmm. options coming with it. Right. So for me, Jeff, I think it's, they're, they're so good at some of these root diseases that I think people would be foolish not to have them in a program. And if that means moving towards Harold's fluoxystrobin to save some bucks, do it, right? And put that money into the ones where we may not have it. And I will say this, and this is not because you guys are doing this. It's, you know, for those of you listening, use the ones that these companies are supporting research. You know, we work with you guys. We know this thing works. You know, we know a lot of your other materials that Paul won't let me talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> look promising. Um, and and there, there's more than you guys as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Sure. Just, yeah, sure. For the listeners, pay attention to the ones that are actually promoting research because I think that's where you want to look. But as far as QOIs, they're you know, they're just really hard to separate from one another. Uh, about the only place you see separation might be with dollar spot. So I'm glad you said that. So one of the things that I've been really curious about over the past few years, as we've kind of brought fluoxystrobin into our portfolio, we've done some of the work and trials across the country. What's been evident is you look at, let's say, the Rutgers dollar spot trial, fairway dollar spot trial, right? Crenshaw Creek and Bentgrass gets just riddled with dollar spot every summer. And one of the top performing treatments over the years in that trial has been straight paraclostrobin because it can control dollar spot. Now, granted, it was on a 14-day interval at a high rate, but here's the thing, right? Most of these QOIs, the really good ones that we just talked about, have been almost too expensive to see fairway acreage, right? They're greens products, and they're very good at that. So here we've kind of left out an entire class of chemistry for at least a contribution to dollar spot control. And we talked about resistance and DMIs may not be working in some parts of the country. And, and so where we've seen what I've been interested about fluoxystrobin is now that we can maybe get the cost down a little bit, make it more affordable for a fairway option, we're getting great disease control across the board and we're contributing to some additional dollar spot control. And we've been able to show that. And so what my objective and what our objective is to try to find ways to program this into a fairway program with or whether it's in combination with something like a chlorophyll or maybe a fluazinam or um and so i just wanted to get your perspective there because again i think we've kind of left this entire class of chemistry behind when it came to dollar spot control because our association was always with azoxy and how it doesn't control dollar spot yeah that's a you know i mean we've known that pyroclostrobin and now fluoxystrobin provides, you know, decent to good control of dollar spot. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, I mean, you even heard me just say it, you got to have them on greens <laughs> yeah. because they've always been cost prohibitive. But I think absolutely. Uh, now with companies like yourself bringing it, that can be a little bit more affordable. You know, I think of like July 4th on fairways up, in your neck of the woods, you know, you damn well know that they have brown patch mm -hmm. and, you know, secure is decent. You know, Max Tima is okay. Uh, the SDHIs that they're using may or may not work. And so, yeah, now you mix that with secure um, and you're out of brown patch season. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. 
Yeah. Uh, it was never a, a huge option before. And you're not sacrificing dollar spot. Mm-hmm. And then who knows what else? I mean, you know, programming that in about that time of year is going to help keep some annual bluegrass alive, even though people, I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, <laughs> you got to deal with it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's what's exciting. I mean, unfortunately, down by us, we don't think about it that much because we don't spray fairways much. Right, right, right. But, you know, on the flip side, what about, you know, zoysia grass, fairways, tees, um, and large patch control. Uh, getting back for, you know, affordability for maybe some lawn care companies. You know, all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's one of many ways that we can kind of reinvent a chemistry that's been around for a long time. And and I think this is one way that, with the QOI class particularly, start thinking about things a little differently and maybe getting some additional disease control that we otherwise weren't getting previously. So, um, I mean, I just want to, you know, there's a reason why when azoxystrobin came out, it quickly became, you know, one of the best-selling fungicides, mm-hmm. you know, and then it translated to pyraclostrobin and fluoxystrobin. I mean, the QOIs were, you know, kind of a game changer for the mm-hmm. entire agricultural industry and still mm. are um so those of you listening if you haven't incorporated you know if it's fluoxystrobin fine i, I don't think that i mean I, I haven't seen a program <laughs> that hasn't but the other thing and jeff I, this gets back to somewhat of your question you know, when you look at the nuances and you guys do this from location to location you see subtle differences Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell people. It's like, try something different. You know, you may see something very different than what Lake Wheeler shows or the courses that we work at. Because these fungi are not all similar to one another. We always want to pigeonhole them into it's just this, it's just that. But the populations are so big that you may see a little bit better result. Even when you're talking about, I guess, more complex type pathogen disease complexes, your take-all root rots, for example, I've heard you speak on several times to where the take-all root rot that you experienced at Lake Wheeler might be a different population makeup than maybe the take-all root rot complex that you see down in coastal areas of the Carolinas. Right? So I just wonder how much variation and efficacy you might see from product to product or mode of action to mode of action for that sake. I mean, I think you can, I, I don't think it'll be amazing differences because those pathogens seem to respond similarly you know but the issue is we can't study every combination you know there's five different species that can cause take all root rot mm-hmm. and i'm sure they can work in tandem with one another you know and the other thing that we haven't really discussed is who daniel freund working with me uh, wants to pursue his phd while working is you know how does water quality play into this well, yeah Because, you know, the more I look at that, we make a lot of assumptions on that. And yeah, we may not be able to do much about it, but it could have a major effect. And I don't know if we know enough about the chemistry to say that this one will perform the exact same way. You know, I don't think we can say that. So, like I said, I don't have any trouble with people experimenting. I don't want you like dropping it out 
but try a different one. You may see dramatic results. But your point about the water quality is, is well, well taken. I mean, we do a lot of soil testing as an industry. We don't do nearly as much water testing. And I, I wonder sometimes if that's as important or more important than not more important, but as important as what we're the, the decision, the agronomic decision make we, we base on soil testing should probably be looking at those water numbers as well. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, one of the most rewarding things in my career uh, was working with Jeff Plotz at TPC Sawgrass. And, mm -hmm. you know, initially, I hope he listens to this and uh, hears it. He had to convince me that his water was really that bad. But he, he always said, I take the simplest approach. And you know what it turned out over a, a pretty long stretch of four or five years, you know, he was essentially applying 14 pounds per thousand square feet of sediment because of the amount of biological material that was in the water. Wow. Goodness gracious. Wow. You know, and that was a unique situation. But you know, you're exactly right. It's something we totally overlook. I mean, so you say it's a unique situation, but I guess the question is, is it? Well, we don't <laughs> we know, were, right? We don't know. Yeah. It may not be. And I commend Jeff because he, he stuck with his guns and never deviated from that. And everybody wanted to say, well, we can try these new products. We can do this. We can do that. You know, and I thought, you know, working with him, I was going to get fired. Uh, from working with him because I said, you know, I think if we dry ejected, it would help. And the greens almost died because I think of all that material that probably entered those holes. You know, of course they didn't, but in their eyes and what the quality they need. Oh, sure. So I think that's another area that we want to start to address is what what is that plan? Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, no ands, ifs, or buts. You need that water. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think especially in our environments, east of the Mississippi, uh, well, we get rainfall. Well, you know, in the Carolinas, we went 29 straight days without a drop of water. Mm -hmm. And all you're doing is irrigating. <laughs> and, oh, yep. we're not worried about that water. <laughs> Interestingly not... enough, in a survey we did for Take All Root Rot, you know, most of the water in the Carolinas, Jeff, are at six and a half or higher. I mean, to me, that was kind of shocking because everybody says our pH is low. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our parent material pH is low in soil, but where we're tapping into water for golf courses may not be the same thing. Sure. But it can be all over the place, too. We can start working at bicarbonates or total dissolved salts or total dissolved solids. I mean, it really is all over the place. I mean, it's a fascinating number, like with Sawgrass, when you when you uh, assume you just run the whole cumulative load, you said 14 pounds of organic material or sediment per thousand square feet. It's, it's pretty fascinating when you think about the repercussions of that potentially, especially your research has said, all right, well, you know, these fungicides bind very tightly to organic matter and soil. All right, well, organic matter and soil, organic matter and water, it's organic matter. Really exactly. You think about the implications of that. Well, Doc, we're uh, we're about at time here. So, listen, we we really appreciate you joining us. We we I think I speak for everybody that's listening that we appreciate what you do for the industry. 
Um, you've helped countless people uh, over the years and will continue to. So thank you for that. And, um, all the best to you and your family. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, with that, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back on sometime soon. Thank you guys. And, uh, to everybody listening, Merry Christmas and Harold's thanks for your continued support and uh, Merry Christmas to your team. And, uh, you know, I just say it's an absolute pleasure. I don't have to grow it every day. <laughs> like the listeners do. So I'm happy to help anytime we can. And, uh, I look forward to our, our next chat. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Kearns. A sincere thank you to Dr. Kearns for his time. The show would not be possible without the willingness and cooperation of folks across our industry who are willing to share their stories. Turf Dudes exist to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turfgrass managers as part of Harold's mission to grow a better world. If you enjoy the show, we want your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes at heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. While you're at it, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.